There we go. Okay, so today, uh, music at Prairie. Uh, I realize that I've only uh, been here 6% of the last 100 years. So I'm supposed to look at music over the last 100 years, and mm, that's a really small amount of time, despite how I, old I look. Um, I do want to give thanks to Veronica because she gave me uh, access to the work that has been done on our centennial book and I've looked through it on several occasions and it's going to be a marvelous book, one that you'll want to, uh, to get. So over the hundred years, of course, uh, we see times of change. Sometimes it's slow, time, sometimes it's slower than slow. And sometimes it's really fast, and things kind of happen, and you wonder, um, how come it happened that way? Well, as you know, the school began in 1922, and uh, early on, the, uh, had to have uh, access to a music teacher, and my remote is not working anymore. Thank you. All right, so... Uh, Edward Kirk served as the first music teacher, and he wasn't, full, he wasn't musically trained, and so they looked for a teacher, and as you can see where the arrow is, uh, Catherine Anderson, who was an aunt of Ellie Maxwell, uh, came on as superintendent of women, and she also uh, taught music. Now, looking through some of the uh, conference brochures, and uh, if you take a look at the history of school conferences, you understand quickly that there was music uh, at all of these, although there's not any details on the music that is being done. Um, I think my assumption was that it certainly would include at least congregational singing and probably special music. Now, we don't have special music anymore in churches, generally. I'm painting with a broad brush here. Um, we don't have uh, special music or presentational music, music that we don't expect everybody to sing along with. Now, whether or not the congregation sings along with the songs that are supposed to be congregational, that would be another topic. But uh, I think probably at these conferences, what would be typical at the time is that you would have congregational singing, which would be hymns, and then you would have special music, uh, solos, duets, trios, and such stuff like that. Okay, this is the first building that was built on campus in the summer of 1924, and eventually uh, it would become Prairie's music building once other buildings had been built. And so they would have three floors of uh, practice rooms and offices, and so they'd have instruments and books and supplies, and we fixed it. This is going along very swimmingly, I must say, in my head as, as we proceed, okay. Um, so this is, this is the original music building. Uh, I think in the book you'll see that there's other pictures of this being built. It's an all wood construction. And so my assumption also is you would hear absolutely everything in, in the building. So hopefully you would hear what you were doing, but I'm sure if you were around, you'd hear what everybody else is doing. It's also interesting to note that music training was not only for students who came to Prairie to study music, but it was for all students. So if you came to Prairie, you would be taking a voice class. 
And later on, the other required courses would include music theory, sight singing, and conducting. So for approximately 60 years of the school, every student who came to Prairie was required to sing in an ensemble. So there was, so later on, we're going to see some pictures, and you're going, like, holy cow, there's a lot of people in that choir. Well, there was a very good reason there were a lot of people in that choir. So there was a, uh, like the Mass Bible School Choir that, um, what was the entrance requirement? You came to Prairie. <laughs> um, so consequently, I was thinking about this. So I think, you know, if we were to honor the heritage of our college, I'm pleased to announce that starting in the fall, every student will be enrolled in community choir. I'm assuming those were music students. <laughs> okay, that's, that's not true, of course. Um, but anyway, uh, it is interesting to note that uh, music was so important that everybody was going to be involved in it. Now, of course, there were other music groups to sing in, and these would be by audition. And so uh, we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit the radio choir that sang for the radio programs that they did, the ambassador choir, which was a touring choir. There was a group called Men of Song. That's self-explanatory. Uh, there was the lady, ladies' choir, self-explanatory. Um, so all those things uh, kind of happened. Some of the uh, original motivations of the college, well, one of the original motivations of the college was to train students to spread the, spread the message of the gospel. And one of the tools to do that was music. And so if you look at some of the early pictures, you see images of guitars uh, guitar choirs, or an accordion choir, or an auto harp. Everybody know what an auto harp is? It's, it's in the picture where it's got multiple people in it. It's that boxy thing that they're kind of holding. And you push buttons here, which put little felt pads down on the strings. So if you press, uh, say, the button that has the letter F on there, and you strum, then you're going to get the F chord because it's silencing everything else. Um, if you were able to take a look at the picture, you'll see that there's mandolins in the choir and further back there's some guitars. Now, why would they have these instruments? Well, because they're portable. You can take them overseas. You can take them to wherever you're going to go. And it's not like a piano that you're going to have to lug around. It's not anything that would require electricity to play. So these would be uh, instruments that would be portable. Now, we don't think of these instruments except guitars and mandolins in the same way as they thought about then. You know, there's probably some of you who say, I wouldn't be caught dead taking an accordion lesson. But accordions uh, didn't have the same reputation maybe as they do now in our general population. So as I was looking at, uh, taking a look at the history, I thought, well, how can, how can we take a look at 100 years of history? And so I've divided it up into these different categories. So music that was done on campus, music that was done on the road, these traveling teams, music that was done on the radio for the radio programs, and then 
music that was done on a record because they started making LPs. So we'll go through each of these uh, in turn and see where we end up. So pictured here is um, an event called Music Night. This is the second Music Night. The first one was in November of 1943. So this is January of 1944. And so throughout... Uh, the history of prairie beginning just 20 years after it began. You see the, the size of the congregation. You see also the, the people that are on the platform, the musicians. This particular event was telling the story of Catherine Booth Clyborne, who is the daughter of William, William and Catherine Booth, who is the founders of the Salvation Army. And so these events would provide a variety of solo performances, duets, trios, quartets, the orchestra. You will see pictures of, of orchestral instruments and the radio choir. And so throughout the years, it was the music faculty, actually, that continued to create the programs around a central theme, and they had a variety of themes each year. Uh, and mostly, it would be the musical arrangements of, of faculty. So there would be a... Uh, a winter or a Christmas music night, and then there would be a spring music night. Um, in the mid-1980s, it changed to looking for music that was already published, and they would add more drama. But the music nights lasted from early 40s until 2007. Um, you'll see the advertisements for, for some of them. Uh, this is actually an album that they created for the ones on Pilgrim's Progress. And so not only did they present this on campus, but they recorded this, and then this went on the road. And they traveled with this production. So that was uh, part of the idea of how music was uh, being used. So here's a, a later picture of a music night. Uh, we've moved into color, and so uh, you can see the size of the choir that's there, and of course we have, there are uh, other instrumentalists, and so we have a trumpet trio uh, that we see. And then here's one of uh, Music Night of Carols for Christmas. You see the choir in behind, and you see the orchestra uh, that is up in front. So everything uh, done live, of course. Now, because of the conferences that were held on campus, because there were no video projectors, of course, uh, this was even the time before we even had overhead projectors, if any of you remember overhead projectors, but there was a need to have lyrics for people to sing. So in 1954, Prairie prints a book called Hymns, uh, Prairie Hymns That Live, and its stated purpose it was, a, was that it was going to be for for visitors, it was not to be sold, and the initial printing of this was 5,000 copies, so that's, that's quite a lot. So college-level teaching material, so that if you came to Prairie and uh, we're actually going to study music, you would study sacred music um, and classical music. So... Some of the teaching materials for sacred music weren't available, and so what the music department did is they decided to publish their own material. So the first book was printed in 1947 and the 48, and then they would have uh, other books being printed uh, for study of voice or for conducting, uh, hymn arrangements for instruments. And so the music studied and performed was sacred, so hymns and such as well. 
Um, as I mentioned, music that is kind of lumped all together in, as, and identified as classical. Now, if you've taken the story of music class and we, we study music history, classical is just really a narrow slice of it, but we use that general term to refer to uh, all of that kind of orchestral and fancy music, highbrow, as some might say. Um, also on campus was the Ambassador Choir, so here's a later uh, picture of them. And then uh, another picture of the Ambassador Choir. They had taken on the name Ambassador's Choir in the 1960s because it was one of Prairie's uh, extension teams that had originally started. And so um, they used that name. In 1942, summer music groups were organized. So just 20 years into the history of the school, Prairie College began uh, traveling. And so they would have traveling teams, and then you would have uh, little postcards that they would take to write a little thank you note uh, to people that they were staying with. And so you can see the, uh, the speaker is the guy in the tie, suit and tie. And then the musical group is that lady's well, it's either a quartet and somebody sings and plays or it's a trio and somebody just accompanies. And then if you can travel in style, you get on the prairie bus and um, maybe I guess they're looking to see if they can fit all the luggage in. I'm not sure why they're so intent on that. Um, but also uh, going on the road is the men in song. So here you see a picture of uh, that choir with uh, L.E., and then uh, other things that they uh, also would uh, produce as thank you cards to people um, as they, they traveled. Now the Jantz Quartet, uh, I trust you've heard somewhere along the line um, about the Jantz Quartet. They were on staff at the college and they traveled on behalf of the school. They sang for radio programming and they also traveled to Germany. They, they were quite, um, they went to a lot of places around the world. So, also on the road uh, were music nights. So beginning in 1959, they would take music nights. They were given at the Jubilee Auditoriums uh, in Calgary and Edmonton every two or three years. And so this would involve the, the transportation to Calgary or to Edmonton of about 300 performers. So Calgary, they took a bunch of buses and a bunch of cars to go in. One time when they went to Edmonton, actually, uh, they chartered chartered a train to go to Edmonton. Um, so you can see there the, the stage with, with all the singers on it, and then in the orchestra pit uh, would be the orchestra. Here's another picture of one of the other uh, nights that they did at the, um, at the Jubilee. The Ambassador Choir traveled to Ukraine three times. Uh, the first time was in 1995, and then again in 2004, and then the last time was, was in uh, 2008. So, the regular uh, Sunday afternoon service is broadcast in 1930, so that's, a, that's an early time of broadcasting on the radio. And so radio, radio and recordings were uh, to play an important role as the school began to grow. And so pictured here is Doug Kirk. He set up a studio to record music and ensembles and sermons. And uh, one of Prairie's, part of the ethos around here was self-sufficiency. And so 
they would get in their own equipment and uh, so professional equipment and trying to use uh, good techniques to produce their own work. So here we uh, see L.E. and someone else uh, at a table with a microphone in between them. In 1940, a radio program called Christian Victory Hour begins. And then here's another image of what it looks like to have uh, the quartet singing off to one side. And then we have someone that's speaking and then we have the accompanist there. So in 1947, the school borrowed a Presto recording equipment which recorded on a 16-inch transcription disc. So this is back in the day, this is analog days. So there's no digital. And so you would actually inscribe the text on a 16-inch round disc. If somebody made a mistake, you had to start all over again because you couldn't, you couldn't punch in or punch out like you could on a tape or on digital. Just say, oh, just record it a bunch of times. We'll take all the pieces that are good and we'll put together something that uh, sounds good, is the song, but nobody actually performed exactly that way. <laughs> um, and so on the radio uh, ends up being an important thing. Uh, Prairie Gospel Hour is a 30, which I think is interesting. Prairie Gospel Hour was a 30-minute program. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was on 14 stations uh, across Canada and in the United States. Here's a picture of the uh, radio choir. Um, you see Kathleen Deering in the lower left of the picture. She's the accompanist. You may remember her when we had the pit stop about uh, the women of Prairie. Here's the Jantz Quartet. They began a 15-minute program that was on five days a week called Hymns That Live. And then... The Ambassador Choir would also be part of what was going on on the, on the radio program. And so in 1962, a program called, actually called the Ambassador Hour begins, uh, and that continue, continues until 1978 when the board recommends that they phase out the radio programming. So beginning in the 1960s, recording and LP production started on campus, and so they would make these uh, recordings. Um, Here's a picture of the 60th anniversary and recording of that. I don't know why I'm showing it to you. It's on the screen, but, you know, <laughs> prove that it exists. Um, so it included selections from uh, the Jantz Quartet, the radio choir, uh, some of the faculty members that were here. Uh, an excerpt from Paul Maxwell. And so this was... This was a major way to get the music out uh, on the radio, but also into people's homes. In 1986, uh, Harvester, uh, well, they announced Harvester Music, so Prairie launched a recording label with a new logo. And so what they did in this recording label, they started to reissue some of the previous recordings that they had. These would be cassette covers that would go on cassette tapes which you don't have any memory of. Um, and then they had artists from uh, new, new people. So this is Wendy Swanson's album. It was uh, in a variety of musical styles. They had the Bowker Brothers. Um, and so just other, other folks that they would sign to the label. So here's a, an early picture of Steve Rendell. He was the, the music producer for Harvest Music. And he bought the... Uh, bought the music label from the school in 1990, so the school no longer has that. 
what we also find in the history of Prairie is a bunch of campus concerts. Now, here's a list. I'm not gonna work through the list. Is it readable? Not really. Um, and I would expect you're gonna have to be my age, maybe a little younger than me, but at least my age to know who some of these people are. Um, so they would have concerts on campus. Some would come because Prairie asked them to come. Some would come because we had an auditorium that held quite a large number of people, like a few thousand. And so it was a good place to hold a concert because you could get a lot of uh, people in. Um, this is a group called Rhythm and News. This is from 1993. You might be able to tell by the really snappy dresses, dressing that they have on there. Um, this is at Youth Quest, which was a youth weekend that the school would hold. Uh, they had Youth Quest to, be, to begin with, and then they changed the name to Kickstart, uh, but they would bring in concerts. So by 2008, there is no longer a music program at Prairie. In the previous couple of years, there had been a couple of revisions to the program. There was decreasing enrollment, uh, after the first revision, and then after the second revision, um, the program ended. So that was in 2008. In 2014, Prairie relaunched the Music and Worship Arts program, and the first uh, program coordinator and songwriting teacher was Brian Dirksen. So you may be familiar with uh, his song, Refiner's Fire, Come Now is the Time to Worship, Faithful One, those, those sorts of things. So he, be, he restarted the program in... 2014. I arrived in 2016. Uh, Brian resigned and I became program coordinator and we hired Dennis Baptista as the new songwriting uh, instructor. And then here's a picture of an EP release concert that we had because the first program that started was the songwriting program. And I'm sure showing this uh, picture is you're wondering when is the next EP showcase? Funny, you should ask. It's uh, Thursday, April 28th at 7 p.m. right here in this room. Uh, we have a couple of songwriting students uh, this year that are graduating, but two years ago when we had to shut the campus down, we had three songwriting students that had no showcase at all. So we've invited them back and they're going to be here and so they're going to be part of our showcase. So we're looking forward to that. Okay, Stranger Things. In 1966, the music department decides that there will no longer be guitar playing during the worship services on campus. So, they're not banning guitars on campus, it's just that we can't use them, like, here at, at all. I guess we've changed our mind on that. Um, so there were some things going on, uh, probably from the 60s uh, onwards, that was happening in music, not just at Prairie, but across North America that uh, people got influenced by, and it created some consternation. So this is the easiest quiz you will get all day. Which of these two albums, Evie's Come On, Ring Those Bells, or Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, which one could you not play in your dorm room? <laughs> the answer is both of them. <laughs> so there would be, there, uh, 
there'd be some discrepancy on what was allowed and what was not allowed. And actually, uh, this was not a prairie event, but it did happen in Three Hills. There was an LP burning, because that's what you did with LPs that were not God-honoring. Um, and so you just burnt LPs. I remember my sister-in-law still laments the, the uh, albums that she had to give away. Um, so music is changing. Pop, uh, folk, and rock music makes its way into the church, and it is not a smooth ride. This does not happen easily. So musically, you, and I want, I want to talk a little bit about my experience in this, because as I was looking through this, um, 40 years ago this fall, I started... I went to Bible college, so I was just a grad from high school. So you can figure out my age backwards. Um, and so I realized I lived through a lot of this stuff, of what's happening. And so as I thought about it, I remember as a kid, I grew up in New Brunswick, I went to a small church, you know, maybe like 30 to 40 people went to this church. We had a group come from the island. Now, when you're in New Brunswick, when you talk about the island, we were, it means Prince Edward Island, not the other island on the west coast. Um, and so they were called the New Christian Singers, and it was a thoroughly folksy pop-type group. So a few acoustic guitars, bass guitar, tambourine, some other uh, instruments. I, I don't think there was a drum kit. But I do remember them being very enthusiastic about their faith. And so you've heard of the phrase, you know, somebody who wears their heart on their sleeve. Well, they lived their Christian heart on their sleeve. And it was very obvious. And so, at least that's what it felt like to me. And it was not the music that we typically did in church. The church I grew up in, we had the church organist and the church pianist. And we sang it of a hymn book, and that's what we did. Now, there's also, uh, what takes place during this time is the advent of rock and roll. And if you study music history, you know there's a path of development that predates the 1960s, so this idea of, you know, like, no guitars. But when rock and roll starts um, in Christian circles, the lyrics and the lifestyle of the artists were associated with the music itself, and so the music was one and the same uh, with what was going on. So the music would lead the listener down the wrong path and the wrong way of living. So there were strong opinions on this. Some felt that rock music was a tool of Satan. And this is how Satan was making its way into the church. In 1994, there was a, a concert here on, Cam on Prairie, at Prairie College. I, I don't think it was uh, a Prairie College concert, but a promoter brought in. Anyway, it was still here. That was Petra. Um, and if I have the story straight... Um, there were students who picketed against the concert. And in the time, when the, when the band came, in the time between the sound check and they left for supper and came back, someone had taken the, uh, went to the panel for electricity, turned it off, and put a padlock on it. <laughs> so, a uh, phone call or two, and the padlock got removed, and... Power got turned back on, and they had the concert. So, but what I think this does, it demonstrates the level of passion 
on beliefs and perspectives. Because you come after this time, students, so you have, you know, we hear all sorts of stuff on church platforms now and don't think twice about it. But at the time, this is a really big deal. So the music of the church was not pop, folk, or rock. At the time, it would be an organ, it would be a piano, and be a hymn book. So I attended uh, Bible college in the early to mid uh, 80s, and my musical training was classical. So when I went to Bible college, I was involved in the Royal Conservatory of Music route. Um, actually, my piano teacher that I had there actually ended up coming here, Dale Wheeler, and taught piano here for a while. Um, but I figure I was getting, what I got was the typical music education that was available at Bible colleges at the time. It was formal, it was classically based. Um, I remember being taught how to select a new hymn book for your church. I've used that skill once. <laughs> but if you ever have the need, I can tell you how to do it. Or you could hire me, that'd be even better. Um, I do uh, remember having an instructor um, not Dale Wheeler, <laughs> who warned me about the rhythms that came from Africa where they worshipped idols. And so if we used the same rhythms, we would be headed down the same path. So that was kind of some of what was going, out, going on. It's interesting to me to note that we could go overseas and take our music there, but the reverse could not happen. Um, just an observation. Uh, my first job that I had at a church was um, in Moncton, New Brunswick, and it was in the areas of music and Christian education, and so the choir sang uh, every week, and one time we were having uh, a youth band going to play in church, and so we had drums, and we were going to have guitars and stuff, and I remember how careful I was to make sure that all the cabling that we were using, followed the lines of the steps of the stairs and came down to where they were going to plug in and everything looked neat and tidy. We don't do that anymore. What we do now is we paint the floor black and we just throw things around because it doesn't matter. We're not, we're not as concerned about stuff like that. But back in the day, that was a concern. This last week at GCC, on Thursday morning, John Lusink was telling us his career and one of the things that uh, he mentioned um, was about the worship wars. And so these worship wars were uh, huge, and they dictated a lot of uh, the things that happened. And so I'll leave you with this. I realize I'm out of time. I seem to be always out of time on these things. I apologize. Excellent. It's Mark's fault. <laughs> So, I'll leave you with this. You know, worship is not music. The two things, that, they're not synonyms. Music is music. And so we need to think about music uh, in a way that allows us to have music function for us, have a tool that we can use. And so, um, let me close in prayer. And... We'll end there. We've got, a, we've got a history of music at Prairie that is strong and, and I would say, resilient. And so uh, we need to give thanks for that. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for work that you've done in our lives.
We thank you for the gift of music, and we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Help us, Father, to always honor you. That, as the songwriter has said, you don't require us to bring a song. The song in itself, it's not what you ask for. That worship is all about you, Jesus, the things that you've done in our lives. And so we thank you for that. Bless our time. The rest of this day we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, just before.